It is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Well, good morning again. I was going to invite uh, Rick Ashley to speak today, but I think we would rather hear Avery Stokes. Can I get an amen? Hey, let's give it up for Avery one more time. Beautiful job, Avery. No, today we're starting a new series that we're calling Spirituality, the Reality of the Spirit in You. And it's a summer-long series about the Holy Spirit. And when I was thinking about who to invite to kick off this uh, summer series for us, uh, I was so grateful when I reached out to Rick and he agreed uh, to come. I first met Rick uh, probably six or seven years ago. He came and did a a week-long series at the church I was a part of in Atlanta. And then I later got to reconnect with him in Nashville. Uh, He may not even remember this at a conference we were at at Lipscomb and got to sit with him and talk about preaching. Before I had decided to go into preaching, he was one of the people that encouraged me to think about it. And then when we first got to Riverside, within the first year, Alicia and I got to be a part of a a retreat uh, where we got to spend uh, several days with with Rick and his wife, Jamie. And what a tremendous blessing that was uh, in our lives. And Rick has become a friend and a mentor to me. Uh, The deal is if I drive to Fort Worth, he'll buy me a taco. And so far, uh, that has been a wonderful relationship, and I'm grateful for that. So today, uh, I'm excited to welcome Rick. Uh, He is the senior teaching minister at the Hills Church in Fort Worth. And I know today he'll be a great blessing uh, to our faith family here. So, Rick, if you would come on up, I'd like to begin with just offering a word of prayer for you and over you and then uh, allow you to speak uh, into uh, this church family. If you would, let's, uh, let's pray together. God, you are so good and your love endures forever. And I'm so grateful to you for this chance to gather today in this place and to worship your son Jesus together and to hear a word uh, from your servant, Rick. Father, would you speak to him and speak through him by the power of your Holy Spirit? Uh, Father, would your presence and power be uh, evident in this place today, God? I pray that your spirit would touch every heart and change every life and transform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you. And uh, I know speakers always say it's good to be here, but it really is good to be here. Uh, I've known of this church for a long time. I know all your preachers all the way back to art. I grew up in South Dallas, and so I'm kind of a Metroplex kid. And then I went off to Abilene to school, and then I preached in Abilene for a number of years. And then I moved to the church I'm at now called The Hills. In fact, it was this week, 30 years ago. I'm 30th anniversary at the church. And so I've had kind of a distant connection to Riverside for oh, in that time, but I haven't actually been here very often. In fact, I haven't been here since your remodel. And by the way, it is stellar. I love the new look. I may not be new to you, but it was to me. It made a great first impression. So thank you for this invitation. Uh, as you can tell by my introduction, I've been doing this a while, and so I am now an empty nester. And by the way, to all you parents out there, empty nest is awesome. <laughs> Trust me, it is awesome. Um, my youngest graduated from high school a few years ago. He attended a small uh, Christian high school in Fort Worth, and uh, he loved basketball, but he's about my size, which tells you right there he didn't have a great future. And uh, he went to a small Christian school made up of a lot of boys about our size. And so they were what you expect of a little high school basketball team. They were well coached. 
they hustled, they played hard, they just didn't have a ton of talent. And so if they played schools about their size, they typically did pretty well. But it was in December of his senior year when uh, there's a high school across Tarrant County from us called North Crowley. You may be familiar. A large high school, about seven, 800 in their graduating class, and they have a tremendous basketball program. So my son's senior year, it's in December, and North Crowley had a game schedule with an elite basketball team from Chicago. At the last moment, they had to cancel their plans, so the North Crowley coach called the coach of our little school and said, would your boys like to come over and play our team? And our coach, in a total lapse of sanity, said, yes, we would love that. So we are driving across town for this game, okay? Our little team playing one of the best teams in the state, even the nation. They had three boys on that team that got D1 college scholarships, okay? Their bench could beat most high school basketball teams in Texas. And we're driving across town, and I said to my wife, and I wasn't being sarcastic, I was being honest, I hope we don't lose by 50, And when we got there, their side of the court was packed with a couple of thousand people. Our side had about a hundred people, mainly parents. And I said to them, I just hope we don't lose by 50. So the game started and it went exactly like you would expect. For one quarter, we stayed in the game because we were hustling and playing hard and we were well coached. But then eventually, size and talent and depth just took over. They got ahead by 10, and then by 20, and in the third quarter, by 30, and then by 40. With one minute to go, we were behind by 52 points. My son is at the free throw line. He makes both. We're down by 50. They take the ball. They go down court. First miracle, they missed. Second miracle, we got the rebound. We hurried down the court. A boy shot. Clang! The ball came all the way out to the three-point line to my son who picked it up. He shot. Buzzer goes off. Swish. We lost by 47. And everybody on our side of the court jumped up and started screaming. And all the boys ran out on the bench and started patting my son on the back. Way to go, Matt. And those people in North Crowley looked at us like, what is wrong with those people? They just got slaughtered and they're acting like they won the game. Now, that is a metaphor for the way to read the book of Acts. Because here's the early church. And from one perspective, they're getting slaughtered and beat up. And yet they also are a people that seem unconquerable and are rejoicing and act like they're winning. And how are they doing this? Because look what they had against them. They had no financial resources. They had no political clout. They didn't have educational status. What they did have was the best gift ever. They had the Holy Spirit. And I just want to commend your leadership for taking a summer and just diving into a better and deeper understanding of the best gift ever. You want to cancel camp, cancel all your vacations, don't miss a single Sunday. And yet, historically, we haven't spent much time learning about or embracing the ministry of the Holy Spirit, have we? I grew up in, my people are from Central Texas. Most of my people are not Christians. We would have these 
family reunions every July at some state park and just sweat to death. And I always had to lead the prayer because I was the only one that knew how. And every family's got a couple of crazy uncles, right? And, and, and we always had this tension of we ought to invite Uncle Leon, but if he shows up, it might get rowdy, right? So Uncle Leon was either in jail or he was in the bar starting to fight that was going to wind up in jail. But you felt bad if you didn't ask him and you hoped you didn't come. And that's how a lot of us grew up with the Holy Spirit. Now he's in the family, but I hope he doesn't come because if he does, it might get rowdy. So I thought what we might do to start this series is just listen to Jesus. Now I'm sure later this summer we'll listen to Paul and we'll listen to Peter and we'll listen to some other the best place to start is with the person who knew the Holy Spirit best. And so the disciples are gathered, and Jesus is saying this stuff about, about to leave. Now, he's asked them to leave everything behind to follow him. And now he says, and I'm about to leave. And that sounds like very, very bad news. But have you ever got bad news that turned out to be good news? Like, well, the other day, I ripped a hole in the knee of my favorite pair of jeans. That's bad news. Then I hopped good news. I can be a worship leader now. See? So, <laughs> that was fun. You have to admit, I like that one. Okay, so, ten times in what we call this final discord, John 14 through 16, ten times Jesus says, I am going away. And so the disciples are understandably sad. But Jesus knew something they didn't know yet. John 16, verses 5 through 7. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So actually, as Christians, we believe in two sendings that shape us as a people. That the Father sent the Son, and then the Son has sent the Spirit. And their first reaction, you're going away, it couldn't get worse. And what Jesus is actually saying is, no, the best is yet to come. Now, he didn't sugarcoat the future. They're looking like from other people, they're getting pounded and slaughtered. He said, you know what? They're going to arrest you. They're going to throw you into prisons. The day is going to come where if somebody kills you, they're going to think they did God a favor. That's what your future looks like. So how do you get ready for a future like that? Notice Jesus didn't say, so what you need to do is read more Torah. What you need to do is think more positively. You know what you need to do is join a small group. What he said was, I'm going to send you the best gift ever. And I want you to notice how he uh, said it. He said, it is for your good that I'm going away. And I looked, you'll have some other translations said that. Watch this. Another one says, it is profitable for you. Another one said, it is expedient for you. Another translation said, 
It is to your advantage. Another, it is better for you. And finally, one more says, I'm going to do what is best for you. And I think the disciples had a hard time believing Jesus. And I think we do too. How could it possibly be better? Wouldn't the best be if Jesus was right here with us right now in the flesh? Wouldn't that be the best? And so what we're going to do today and then for the rest of the summer is we're just going to let Jesus change our mind and help us to understand why the best thing he could do is send us the Holy Spirit. And here's why we're going to listen to Jesus. And it's because Jesus had the best view of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. You'll never appreciate the Holy Spirit until you come to understand how much Jesus appreciated the Holy Spirit. He thought the Holy Spirit was the best. And he didn't think that because he went off to seminary. He didn't think that because he had read somebody's systematic theology. Jesus thought the Holy Spirit was best because he had lived a life of daily, intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And we think it's the best life that was ever lived. Look at this verse, Luke 4, 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, now that's not one day in Jesus' life. That is how Jesus lived every day. Enabled by, empowered by, filled with the Holy Spirit. So, for example, you know in Luke 1, 35, uh, the angel said to Mary, you're going to be pregnant, you're going to conceive in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, 38, it says Jesus went around healing the sick, casting out demons, and doing good in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke 10, 21 says Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what your picture of Jesus is. I think a lot of times we don't think of Jesus as smiling. When in fact, I think most people would have thought he's one of the happiest people I've ever been around. Because he lived his life in the flow of the Holy Spirit. Did you know Hebrews 9, 14 says Jesus offered up his life through the Holy Spirit? It was the power of the Spirit that enabled him to have the courage to go to a cross. And it says in Romans 8, verse 11, that Jesus was raised from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you get over to Acts 1, verse 2, and it says, Jesus gave his final instructions to his disciples on the kingdom in the Holy Spirit. Now, get this. What the Bible has just said is that from conception to ascension, Jesus lived every moment in the flow and in the enabling, embracing the Holy Spirit. And we believe he lived the best life ever because he was totally appreciative and embraced the best gift ever. See, the Holy Spirit was his helper. And he knew his disciples were going to need some help. And so he knew exactly what to do when he left. So what I want to do this morning is just give you two simple truths that we'll build on all summer about the Holy Spirit. Now, they're simple. They're not shallow. They're profoundly deep, but they're simple. And here's the first. The Holy Spirit is God. 
And you're like, duh. No, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. Because even though we say we know the Holy Spirit's God, a lot of us have treated the Holy Spirit like he is God-like. Like he's God on the JV. He's the God that never was quite good enough to make the major leagues. Like he's the third wheel of the Godhead. No, he's the third person of the Godhead. So just like Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus could say, if you've seen the Holy Spirit, you've seen me. The parting gift wasn't less of Jesus. He was all of God. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, that's important because fellowship is something you enjoy with a person. See, the Holy Spirit is not a power. The Holy Spirit is a person because the Holy Spirit is God. And that's why in the Bible you see these verbs with the Holy Spirit that remind us of his personality. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit prays. He decides. He guides. He rejoices. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, you can lie to the Holy Spirit. I do not recommend that. <laughs> now, why is that important? It's important because you use a power, but you know a person. So in Acts chapter 8, for example, Peter is doing some amazing ministry, and there's this sorcerer who sees it and says, whoa, whoa, what you're doing? I want that. I want to buy that. How much for that power? And you can go and read it for yourself. Peter's going to turn and give him a stern a rebuke as you ever get in the Bible. Why? Because you don't buy God. You don't tame God. You don't use God. You don't domesticate God. Why is that important? It's important because one of our problems with the Holy Spirit is he refuses to be tamed. And so we sing songs all the time. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. But what we really mean is as long as you don't do anything crazy. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you are welcome here as long as you don't get us out of our comfort zone. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here as long as you change other people. Here's what Jesus said in John 3, 8. The wind, speaking of the Spirit, it blows wherever it pleases. We sing, revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be kindled with fire from above. You ever realize what we sing? The crazy stuff we sing. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. But what we really mean is, Lord, send your fire. But we want a controlled burn. Send your fire as long as we're in charge. Send your fire as long as the Holy Spirit obeys us. See, the Holy Spirit's a gift, but he's not a gift you could put in a box. But I want to ask you this. 
Why would we ever need to fear the gift, the outpouring, the coming of the Holy Spirit? I read about a guy that wrote a letter to a small hotel in Florida he was planning to visit on his vacation. He said, I would very much like to bring my dog with me. He's well-groomed, very well-behaved. Would you be willing to permit me to keep him in my room with me at night? He got an email right back from the hotel owner. I've been operating this hotel for many years, and all that time I've never had a dog steal towels, bedclothes, silverware, or pictures off the wall. I've never had to evict a dog in the middle of the night for being drunk and disorderly. I've never had a dog run out on a hotel bill. Yes, indeed, your dog is welcome at my hotel, and if your dog will vouch for you, you're welcome to stay here too. Here's the point. What has God ever done that you would be afraid to experience more of his presence? See, that's the second thing. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is good. Simple but deep. See, Jesus knew better than anyone else that the fellowship and ministry of the Holy Spirit is the best. And, and as you read in John, you're going to see that he cannot say enough good things about the goodness of the Holy Spirit. So look again back to that text we read earlier. The version I use called him the advocate. Other versions call him the friend. Other versions call him the counselor. Others call him the comforter. And my personal favorite is the version that calls him the helper. The Holy Spirit helps us. See, and that's why the parting gift excites God as much as it did Jesus. See, behind all of our theology of prayers, what do we believe God is like? What kind of father do we have? Jesus says, if your kid wants a piece of bread, are you going to give him a snake? If your kid wants an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? Now, right after that, here's what Jesus says in Luke 11. So if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask him. Do you believe God is good? That God wants your best. And here's what God knows. You can't live your best in your own strength. You can't live your best possible life in your own flesh. You need supernatural empowering to live the best possible life. And that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants to give you. You see, nothing the Holy Spirit would ever do needs to be restrained. Do you understand that if you fear the Holy Spirit, you are questioning the goodness of God? And that, let's be honest, that's what many of us have done. Maybe not consciously. But many of us have lived many years as Christians. And we have not wanted, we have not sought more of, we have not been grateful for the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Well, like I said, I've been doing this a long time. I don't 
call myself an expert, but I'm just going to share with you what I think are three reasons I have seen so many Christians, especially in our fellowship, be quite intimidated by, ignorant of, and content to live a life outside the flowing of the Holy Spirit. Here's reason number one. I would just call it negligent theology. And here's what I mean. For many of us, we just don't know much about the Holy Spirit. Now, if you weren't raised in a Christian home, that totally makes sense. But a lot of us were. I was. I, I grew up in a church where we went to church on Sunday morning, and we went to church on Sunday night, and we went to church on Wednesday night. Now, some of you young people say, they used to have church on Sunday night. Google it. They did. They have unearthed some stone tablets that prove that people used to go to church on Sunday night. If there was a week-long gospel meeting, we went every single night. Well, except Thursday, that was my parents' bowling league. But the point was, <laughs> we went to church. And I got to tell you, I was raised in absolute ignorance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I never heard teaching about the Holy Spirit at all unless it was a sermon titled, What the Holy Spirit Doesn't Do. Why was that? How could we read our New Testaments? How could we make our claim? We're just going to be New Testament Christians. We're just going to try to restore a New Testament church and be so ignorant of the Holy Spirit. Here's one of the reasons, I think. We had a dilemma. How do we reconcile the powerful activity of the Spirit in the Bible with the seeming absence of that kind of church life in the present? I mean, in the Bible, we read about a church that is healing the sick, and it is taking on the gates of hell, and it's advancing in the face of great persecution, and people are getting added daily. That's a church we read about in the Bible. And at my church, we can't even get people from the back to move up to the front if the preacher asks. And so, we started to develop theologies that excused a church where there was no dynamic activity of the Holy Spirit. Some of us grew up in churches that taught us that the Holy Spirit only operates in the Bible, which, by the way, is nowhere in the Bible. And then some of us grew up in churches that taught us, well, the Holy Spirit did some stuff back then, but He doesn't do that anymore. And so we would pick and choose in John 14 through 16 the parts that we still wanted to keep and the parts we said we won't use anymore. Let me ask you a question. Does the church still need some help? Look at this verse with me. John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. Say that word, church. Forever. The gift of the Spirit wasn't to bless the church in a generation. It was to bless the church in every generation. So I want to tell you right now, be suspicious of any theology of the Holy Spirit that puts him on tranquilizers. So I'm asking you this summer during this series, would you just be open to receiving some new insight about the Holy Spirit? Would you just be open to that? Would you pray for that, that Corey and others this summer will teach me some things about the Holy Spirit? I've never heard that's one reason. A second reason I think we've had kind of a 
a comfortable distance from the Spirit. It's what I would call negative experiences. Some of us have hurtful memories of other Christians and what they believed or taught about the Holy Spirit. I did. I was in college, um, and I heard about a group of students, and I knew most of them, who were meeting on Saturday night, and I heard they were having these worship gatherings, and I heard they were very powerful. And so I asked the leader, well, next Saturday night, could I come? He said, no. It's invitation only. It's only for people that are full of the Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking, well, you're full of something, all right. (laughs) But it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes to unite Jesus' disciples, not to divide them. And any elitist spirit in the body is not holy. Understand, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to make you better than anybody else. He makes you better than yourself. So let's just get this on the table. If we're going to have a summer where we really grow in our relationship with the Spirit, some of you are going to have to get past the past. You're going to have to get past some painful memories of how you got treated by some people. And the way they used the Holy Spirit. So maybe that's the reason. Maybe it's negligent theology and maybe it's a negative experience. But here's my honest opinion. The number one reason we have not had a dynamic relationship with the Spirit. And I call it nominal discipleship. Here's what I mean. We are a resourced people. We are a people of privilege. We live in a country where we can pretty much practice our faith any way we want. Bottom line, we can live quite successfully without the Holy Spirit. Given our talents and our resources, we don't need any help to live a fairly comfortable Christian life. So we do. Granted, we don't see any miracles. We don't see very many conversions. But we're comfortable. We settle for a tepid, weak, innocuous brand of discipleship that doesn't ask of us much more than this. Show up once a week, give a little money, don't cuss too much, and be a good neighbor. And you know what? I don't need any supernatural help to be that kind of Christian. And you don't either. Soren Kierkegaard, in one of his books, tells about a town of ducks. And every Sunday, the ducks would waddle to duck church. They'd waddle into the sanctuary. They'd waddle into their pew. The choir would waddle up to the loft. The pastor would waddle up to the pulpit. And he would say, ducks, you have wings and you can fly. You can soar like eagles. 
You don't have to be confined to the ground. You don't have to be confined by walls. You can go wherever you want to go. Ducks, we have wings. We can fly, ducks. We can fly. We can fly. And all the ducks would say, amen. And then they'd get up and waddle out the church and waddle back home. So here's the thing. If you are content with a safe, mild, inoffensive Christian life, you never bother anybody and nobody ever bothers you. Let me put it like this. If you're already comfortable, why do you need a comforter? See, I think the greatest unspoken anxiety about welcoming the Holy Spirit is that Jesus said he will be good for you, but his definition of good for me may not be my own. Holy Spirit, I got a pretty good life. It's working for me. I don't need you taking me places I don't want to go. I don't need you exposing me to things I don't want to see. I don't need you dealing with stuff deep down in my heart that I don't want to find out about. So, Holy Spirit, you stay on the shelf. And every now and then I will sing you a song. But you stay there and leave me alone. You see, we like to, be, we like to lead. We don't like to be led. And yet the very essence of discipleship is fellowship. That's the mission of the church, to make and grow people that will follow Jesus. And if we are going to do that, we're going to need some help. And Jesus made it available. Jesus did what is best for us so we could be our best for him. See, I do think our culture is changing. I do think every day our culture is getting more openly hostile to the Christian faith. I think our grandchildren, much more than me, are going to live in a culture that is going to oppose and be offended by things that we took for granted. I believe we're the visiting team. We're that little group on the other side of the court that looks like we're going to get slaughtered. You know what? The church is typically her very best when she's on the visiting team. You look at church history. We are at our best when we stop acting like we're the home team. What the world needs right now is not a church that gets on Facebook and rants all the time. What our strategy is going to be, we are going to live like and we are going to love people like Jesus did. And it is not going to be easy, and it is going to require an amazing amount of supernatural strength. We need some help. We need the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit comes in power into your life, He will not make you weird. He will make you like Jesus, which will make you strange in the most wonderful kind of way. We saw an example of that just a few years ago. I'm sure all of you remember the story of Dr. Kent Brantley. 
graduate of Abilene Christian University, member of the Southside Church of Christ right here in Fort Worth. He goes to Africa with uh, Samaritan's Purse. The Ebola crisis breaks out. Dr. Brantley contracts the virus, the deadly virus. We all remember the pictures of him coming home. And I'll bet your church did exactly what my church did that Sunday. We stopped and we prayed and we asked God for a miracle. But then I said to my church, but I don't want you to miss the miracle that we've already witnessed. The life that Dr. Brantley has chosen to leave. Here's a man that could have easily stepped right into a life of privilege and comfort. He chose to go to a place nobody wants to go. He chose to live in conditions no one wants to live in. When he got the disease and there was just one vial of the medicine, he chose to let someone else have it. Who does that? Who lives like that? Only someone who's absolutely surrendered to the Spirit of God. God gave him a miracle, but God was already doing a miracle before he got to Africa. Jesus' death was not the end of the plan. Even his resurrection didn't complete his agenda. He saved the best for last. He said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when you receive a gift like that, you ought to say, thank you. So I'd like to close by just leading us in a time of prayer. In fact, I'd even like to ask you to stand for the prayer if you don't mind. Now, I'll finish the prayer, but I'm going to let you start it. Everyone bow your head, please. And here's the first thing I'd like you to do. Would you take a moment? Maybe you've never done this. Would you take a moment and would you just thank God? God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you do that, please? Bow your heads and do that. Okay, next thing. Would you pray right now that God would give you a new insight into the ministry of the Spirit this summer you've never had before? Ask God to reveal to you a greater understanding of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and last thing. This will be hard. But would you ask God to take away any fear in your life about what might happen if you more radically experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can do that because God is good. So take a moment and just ask God to take away any fear of what would happen in your life if you had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit.
So God, we, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. May we walk in the flow and power of your spirit so that we can make your son famous to the world. In Jesus' name.